In this episode of Upward Calling, we talk about this year's theme, being a remnant for God. Welcome to Upward Calling. We help Christians develop a relationship with God by talking with University Church of Christ evangelist Josh Creel and Dr. Kenny Ambry. Listen as we take a deeper dive on a lesson from a recent Sunday service and help you apply it Monday through Friday. How you doing, Josh? Kenny, I'm doing great. I've recovered from seeing the New Year's Eve in, and all I mean by that is I got some sleep. I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> good. I got to tell you, I'm still recovering from the, the New Year's, but Katie and I have not seen in a new year probably the last five or six years. We sleep them all in at this point. How about you? That was my New Year's resolution was I'm not going to stay up till New Year's of 2023. I did stay up. The kids enjoy staying up, but I was the great pumpkin by about 1130. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Today's lesson was really good, but one of the things that happened to me on my way home, there was a question from one of our listeners, and I, I will not identify Kent by name, but <laughs> one of the things that, that he asked me was, Dad, what's a remnant? So, Josh, I'm going to start off by asking Kent's question. You're talking about being a remnant. So define what a remnant is. The first thing we need to say is that anyone listening to this that ever thinks of preaching or presenting publicly, here, here's a valuable lesson of don't assume people know what you're talking about. <laughs> remnant is a, is a term that those of us who've been in Bible classes for some time, you come across, and so it's, it's natural that maybe those of our, our younger or maybe just new in the faith, maybe they're not so familiar with that. What we really mean by remnant is what remains. In, in Scripture, this, this idea of remnant comes up in, in a variety of ways. I'll give you a few examples here, and we'll probably talk about some of these in, in later lessons. But in Genesis 45, when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers as they've come back to buy grain, and after they've had really quite, a, quite an ordeal we won't go into in this podcast— but Joseph makes mention, and these are the same brothers who have sold him into slavery, and Joseph says that God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. And so in that mm -hmm. sense, the remnant was the, the family of Jacob, that they would remain, they would be saved, even though there's this great famine uh, that's going on in the world at that time. Now, right. in other passages of Scripture— the remnant takes on a much more theological bent or tone. It's about a spiritual concept. So Zephaniah chapter 3 and in verse 13, where in, in one of these prophecies, God declares that the remnant of Israel will do no wrong and tell no lies, nor will a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths, for they will feed and lie down with no one to make them tremble. Well, in that passage, the remnant's clearly not talking about any defined physical body on earth. It's not talking about a country, a family, a nation. It's talking about a spiritual people, though, that God is saying, I've saved these. These mm -hmm. are our remain. And hopefully even a Kent, as we went throughout the rest of the lesson and we got to Noah, that idea, oh, okay, Noah was saved. Noah, out of right. all the earth, even though the term remnant is not used there, Noah, out of all the earth, was saved because of how he was following after God. So that's really all we mean by remnant. Now, what do I want us to think about, and why is it important for us as a congregation? And Kenny, I'd like for you, yeah. your input on this, too. Sure. I started in, in rather 
lengthy you know introduction into the changes that I think all of us have felt and observed over you know the last decade, two decades, however long. It, it all depends. Yeah. If you're talking to someone in their 70s, they'll talk about these changes that have been going on for 50, 60 years. It, it all depends on when you were born, what you were accustomed to, and you begin to feel how things change. Yeah. And the moral stance that pervaded society and how that has changed over time, concepts such as belief in God, concepts such as just basic morality— that I think we're beginning to feel more like a remnant. I'm not meaning by that that there's been a great departure from the faith among God's people, although you know that happens over time too, and so you could say that those who remain faithful are the remnant. I'm looking more of it from a societal standpoint, that I think Christians today, I think we're feeling more like a remnant than ever before. And Kenny, I'll just ask you, do, do you think that's true? Because that's the premise of this whole thing. I, I personally I think there is more of that feeling now. I do think that as well. I think one of the things that's happened to us, the, the funny thing is, it depends on who you talk to. They, they will talk about the righteousness that we had in the 80s, but some of us are old enough to remember the 80s. And so those of us who remember the 80s will talk about the, the departure in the 60s. The fact of the matter is, the further back you can go, there's somebody who remembers a time that was actually worse. We have thought of ourselves as a Christian nation for so long, but I don't know that we've ever been good at this. I think we just have, we have a, a memory of when we were children and watching things change as we get older. What do you think? We'll kind of go ahead and go into the difference in, in politics and, and the remnant here. Because I think, Kenny, if you and I were raised in, so for instance, China, because I even saw something, there was a news article in the Christian Post this morning about how there was going to be further crackdowns on Chinese internet as far as what Christian material is available. If you and I were born in China and we had someone teach us the truth of the gospel, I think we would have felt like a remnant the entire time because we lived in a society that didn't claim to be Christian. Right. Uh, they don't have one nation under God in their pledge or on their money. Right. You walk down the street, you don't see pictures of Jesus Christ, you see pictures of Chairman Mao. That's right. So I think if you lived in a society like that, you do probably have that feeling of being part of a minority, of being persecuted, uh, of being inconsequential to the rest of the world. Whereas yeah. we, because of that long history, and we'll talk more about were we actually more Christian or not later— but there was at least the appeal to that. Yeah. There, there was a recognition uh, of God and the importance of God and the nation and all these things. I think you're probably right, Kenny. I, I think most people come to that realization over time. But it's, it's certainly something that I think more and more have come to of late. Well, let me ask you this. Set this up, because I think you did a really good job with this in, in your sermon this morning. You spent a lot of time really examining the history, specifically of America. Why did you give us this history lesson, Josh? Do you think we were more Christian in the past? I think that's going to depend on what definition do we give to Christianity. How can a nation truly be more Christian when, I don't remember what they said the population was. It's Let's say slaves made up a third maybe even as much as half of the population of the United States Mm. when the Constitution was ratified. 
how could you ever say that a kingdom of men is Christian when there's always going to be inequalities, there's always going to be immorality, even institutionalized immorality. So certainly not from that standpoint. I think we're always reminded of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Because there's going to be few who find it. There's going to be few who yeah. trod down the narrow path. Jesus has always said there's going to be a minority. And so in our terminology, there's going to be a remnant of people who are ultimately saved. The vast majority of people are not. When it comes to how a nation's rules are formulated and how governance happens, were we more Christian in the past? Uh, That's probably for someone else to decide more than me. The ideas uh, of God are encapsulated, but there's also freedom of religion in that. Christianity was never meant to be enforced by a physical kingdom. And I think that's one of the reasons why we as Christians have enjoyed and and even pray for the continuance of our nation is because while there's not a state religion, that's been a good thing for us because chances are yeah. our practicing of Christianity would not have been the one in favor by whatever state religion was ever enforced. What I was trying to lay out in the sermon was, I think from at least an honoring of various moral principles, we were probably considered more Christian in the past than we are now. But were men necessarily more Christian in the 1700s and the 1800s? You read any history book, and you're going to find angels and demons in all of them. And I don't know that the percentages have necessarily changed. I don't know that the stream of people going down the narrow path has slowed all the way to a trickle at this point. I think it's probably been fairly constant as far as how few are finding the kingdom and actually walking the path of the kingdom over time. The passage that I'm always reminded of is 2 Timothy, the third chapter, where Paul says, in the last days there will come times of difficulty, People will be lovers of self, mm-hmm. lovers of money, proud, mm-hmm. arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. My goodness, could we not find better descriptors for this age? But he wrote this in the first century. At the end of all this, he says this, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. In mm-hmm. other words, we're going to hide behind this, and he doesn't say it exactly this way, but we're going to hide behind this word Christian. But we're not going to give God his due on any of this stuff. Yeah, We're just going to hide behind that word. Yeah, Because we love being a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. One of the things you said in, in your sermon today, you said part of being post-Christian is also being in a post-truth society. What do you mean by that? There's probably a, different, a couple of different ways you can look at that. And one of the books I've been reading uh, of late, and, and this guy may be a little bit more doom and gloom than I am. And, and yeah, again, Happy New Year, everybody, we're, we're talking about. <laughs> Thankfully, there were more than a few people after the sermon this morning that said it was actually an encouraging lesson. That's what I meant it yeah. to be, because I think we already feel the weight of change. And so identifying as the remnant ultimately is a good thing. We can talk about that later. Yeah, But one of the books I was reading was, was talking about the changes that happened in Germany before the rise of Hitler, and this guy was trying to draw a direct parallel between the changes in Germany in the 1920s and 1930s to mm-hmm. America in the 1990s and, and 2000s. I don't necessarily think I, I agree with that. But post-truth in that sense was Germany has this rich history of, of 
we'll say quote unquote Christianity. Mm -hmm. It is the where the Reformation began. And you want to talk about people hiding behind the term Christianity. You read some of the reformers. Yeah. That passage you used in Second Timothy chapter three, they would use that language to describe the ruling authorities of the church of that time, which they had really dabbled into world politics and, and leading men in that way. These were supposedly the greatest Christians that there were, and, and they were governing and leading people, and the Reformers were saying, "Yeah, no, you're the people that Paul was talking about in 2 Timothy chapter 3, or if you're in case of the Pope, you're the Antichrist. Right. So Germany has this rich history of Christianity, of Christian faith, and, and even within their universities, much of the older universities in, in our country, whether you're talking about Harvard, Yale, Princeton, any of these— they were formed by preachers. That's yeah. who established these things. And, and they were founded to actually propagate the Christian faith. What happened in Germany, what has happened here, not just since the 1990s, but for a long time. The idea of truth as being found, found in the Word of God was something that was not only left, it was ridiculed. And, and of course, yeah. Germany had thinkers like uh, Nietzsche and others who wasn't enough for them to disagree with Scripture. They, they wanted to pound it down as much as they could. While Germany may still have been nominally Christian, the idea of being guided by truth as found in the Word of God, that had left the scene, for all intents and purposes, by the, for the majority of the people. If you're no longer being guided by an absolute truth— then you can fall prey to any number of doctrines. And, and b because of what happened in World War One and, and the situation of the economics in the country, it, it gave fertile ground to Nazism. So I'm not saying that America is on the verge of we're going to do the same thing, but the idea of once you declare that God's word, and as a society you declare that God's word is not true— then who knows what your society is going to be guided by? I don't think of myself as a doomsday conspiracy. People who are worried about Marxism and other ideologies coming in, well, this is the kind of ground where those kinds of theories and doctrines make more headway. It's because you don't have anything you to consider true anymore, absolute truth. Now, there's another way you can look at, po at post-truth society, and that is more of the pluralistic idea that we're just not willing to say that anybody's wrong or anything's actually true. Your truth is mm -hmm. your truth. My truth is my truth. But again, you have to leave absolute truth to get to there. The reason why a post-truth society is a post-Christian society is Christianity depends on following truth, and truth is the Word of God. If you have a society that does not say that the Word of God is true anymore, you can't be a Christian society. That's exactly right. I, I guess an easy way to think about this is, at the end of the day, somebody has to win arguments. How are you going to decide how those arguments are won? Are you going to beat each other up? That's Mike Banks right. Are you just going to outthink each other? That's a, a kind of intellectualism. Or are you going to look to a standard that says this is how things should be run? Quite frankly, I would say that's what Christianity is. God says this is how you should do things. If you decide to get rid of that standard, you're going to have to let all these other standards now fight. You're going to have to figure out whether might makes right. That's what Nazism was. It is a morality, but it's not a Christian morality. So anyway, l l let me get back to And I appreciate that you've decided to take on this idea of the remnant. People who decide to take God at his word, there's not a lot of those, Josh. That is a remnant. 
at the conclusion of your sermon, you encouraged us to identify as that remnant. We are already identified as God's family. We're already identified as Christians. We are already identified as the church. Why is it important to make this remnant identification as well? I think God gives us all these descriptors for reasons. Each each one fits a time. Sometimes you need to think about yourself as a family. And when we're talking about interpersonal relationships, we, we need to come back to that family dynamic. When we're t- thinking about why would it be that, that God loves us and, and God wants us to be with him and God's going to keep his promises? We're part of his family. Of course, he's going to do that. Mm-hmm. What, if we're talking about the church or the kingdom, we may be looking at something along the lines of, of authority or allegiance to a king, and Jesus is our king, and, and so we need to think of that. The reason why I wanted us to identify as a remnant is because I was trying not to be doom and gloom, and, and honestly, I see a lot of that around us. I am concerned for what the future holds for my kids and for any grandkids that are in the future. Of course I am. But Jesus himself says in, in the Sermon on the Mount, "'Blessed are you when you are persecuted.'" I don't know that I can keep society from turning in such a way that that won't be the case, that my descendants aren't persecuted for their faith. And as I said in the sermon this morning, that's the way the kingdoms of men go. That's where they always have gone. So do I want it to happen? Absolutely not. Do Am I going to pray that it doesn't happen here? For sure. But I'm not going to be shocked either. And I don't want to live in fear of that happening. I don't want my kids to live in fear. I want us to live in hope. And that's where the remnant comes in. I don't have to to worry so much, what is this world going to be like next year or next decade or in the next hundred years? Yeah. If I'm part of the remnant, then I'm fine. God knows who I am. God knows I belong to him. That's what I want us to identify with. I'm tired of people identifying by whatever their political stance is right now or whatever they think is the right course for the economy or for mask policy or whatever. You know, we're identifying by so many things. Let's identify by something that actually gives hope and can give hope to other people. I'm the remnant. I'm part of the saved, and God knows who I am. He knows who you are. That's a message of hope right there. I could not agree more. How does identifying ourselves as the remnant Help us pursue God's upward call. If we're living in hope and and identifying the remnant is a part of that, then we've placed our treasure in the right place. We've placed our treasure in heaven. and We're saying that the treasure's not here. Uh, The treasure isn't in whatever America I, I think it can be or whatever I want it to be. That would be great if we're a more Christian society. I hope that'll be the case, but that's not where my treasure is. That's where my hope is. My hope is in heaven because I'm I'm part of the remnant of God. And if that's the case, then I follow the upward call. I, I, I follow the will of, of the one who holds my hope in his hands. And so it's, it's all about mindset. If I'm part of the remnant, my hope is heaven. My hope is what God provides. And that's where my attention and my focus is going to be. And he's the one who's going to be calling the shots in my life. Josh, I do like this idea of the remnant. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it is ultimately a hopeful message at a time that there's a lot of hopelessness. What are some other ideas that you think you'll be exploring in the following weeks? We're not going to be looking at this every week. As a yearly theme, it's something we do want to you know, come back to probably about on a once-a-month uh, basis. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at 
aspects of scripture that kind of help define what the remnant is. So we're going to look at how in scripture, God's remnant stands out. Mm-hmm. You, again, you look at Noah as opposed to the rest of the world. Noah would have stood out because he was the one person in the world uh, pursuing righteousness. We're going to look at how God's remnant receives uh, God's provision while they're here on, on this earth. We're going to look at how God's remnant doesn't have to fear what man thinks. And, and we're going to look at other lessons that have to do with the hope that the remnant have. So we're going to look at it from a variety of aspects and, and one that I'm looking forward to, but I'm going to wait probably until closer to when the new college students will come in August. The idea of a remnant, there's a generational aspect to that. And I think a lot of our children, your kids, my kids, what they're going to have to struggle with is like they were born into this remnant. They weren't born into Christ yet necessarily, right. but they're born into this community that views itself this way. What does it mean to be a, a child of the remnant? You know, when do you, how do you go from being a child of the remnant to being a part of the remnant yourself? So that's something I want. So we're going to look at it from a variety of of ways, looking at various features of what it means to be in the remnant, but also looking at uh, aspects of the hope we have. Looking forward to hearing these. Thank you, Kenny. I'm looking forward to it as well. All righty, man. Why don't we talk about this again next week? Sounds great. All righty, man. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to get to know us more, you're welcome to watch a live stream service or join us in person at the University Church of Christ in Tampa, Florida. We have all our information at universitychurchofchrist.org and we have linked the sermon that is discussed in this episode in the show notes. Until next time, God bless you in your walk with God.